And um, so we did a couple shows on evolution and it's a big topic and we wanted to talk about it a little bit more. So Daniel and Lisa gifted me two books. One is called uh, I Love Jesus and I Accept Evolution. We're going to look at that one first. It's written by uh, Dennis Lamoro, and we're Facebook friends now. Um, so if I have any questions, I might write him a message. And uh, But he was a uh, dentist at one point. He has like three PhDs, uh, dentistry, theology, and biology. So, you know, seems pretty, um, and he'll use all three to kind of make his argument for evolution. He also has held sort of all the major positions, which we'll talk about, you know, on this in terms of young earth creationism, old earth creationism, um, and, and the view he holds now, which is um, uh, teleological evolution, if, if I remembered that correct, but sort of evolution by design, but evolution nonetheless. The second book is, is really interesting. It's called The Genealogical Adam and Eve. It's a new book, and um, it's basically a kind of thought experiment that asks if it is possible that uh, both the accounts of evolution and science, as they're currently accepted, and the biblical account could both be true concurrently. And the way you do that is basically you say that human beings evolved and God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And eventually, Adam and Eve mated with the people outside the garden, and that is how you have Romans 5 being true. Uh, from one man came sin to all men. And, um, and also, though, you, you, it, 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 it answers a certain number of questions, like, um, you know, did Adam and Eve's children just procreate with one another to populate the world? Or the author is Joshua Swamidas. Yeah, yeah he was interviewed by Westview Baptist, did a podcast series and... Jim, Jim Tour did a podcast series, and I know he interviewed him, so I've not listened to it yet, but we'll be going through that, and it's interesting. It's, it's, a, it's a really interesting thought experiment. Basically, the idea is he puts forth the idea, and then he tries to figure out if there's any biblical reason or scientific reason for it not to be true, and he doesn't find one, so you know, it doesn't mean it is true, but uh, it can't be disproven, so it's kind of an interesting idea. Oh, yeah. Evan's here. He's right there. He's there. <laughs> oh, oh, you have Zoom. Uh, you, 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 you discriminate against people on Zoom, I see. Present. You're one of those people. No, no, no. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I, I turn, I turn uh, 41 years young tomorrow, so. <clears throat> so you have to respect me now. I'm in my 40s, okay? I'm an old and wise man now. I've got, got the gray on my temples to prove it. And my beard's getting gray by the day, I tell you. Oh, okay, good. Oh, that's good to know. You lose all your age. Well, well, um, it's very common for me to fill up a, a, a carafe of coffee and then forget that I turn on the water and come back and find it overflowing. So that might be a sign of dementia or something. I don't know. But yeah. What's that? Oh, let my doctor know. I need to get a doctor first. That's the, that's my problem. I don't even have a doctor. Okay. Doctor? What's a doctor? Okay. So anyway, uh, Two books, uh, and, and so again, this is kind of a, I don't say a standard defense of evolution from a Christian, but what I want to do today is maybe just try to outline some terms, and Danny and Lisa, I want you guys just to know you can barge in, bud, you know, not barge in, but just at, bud in, whatever you want to call it, anytime. Can I, can I say one thing real quick? 
Absolutely. Yeah, just the reason we, we picked these two books is we really liked the ideas put forth the first one, you know, someone who's, who has experience, you know, in evolutionary biology and, but also has that theology perspective. And then we, I really liked the book. It still, I, it, but it left me with a couple of questions specifically with, like he kind of talks about the problem um, with Adam and Eve, then if you, you know, how to reconcile some things and some scriptures. And that's what we think the Joshua Swamidas book does really nicely, like really elegantly. Um, so in science, we'll talk about how someone could have a really elegant hypothesis. And I think he does have a really elegant hypothesis that makes this argument that people are having kind of moot and like, hey, let's imagine, you know, let's imagine it this way instead. And then there aren't any issues. So we're just really excited to, to yeah. share that. Right, well, thanks. no, absolutely. And so you all know, Lisa has a PhD in? Molecular virology and microbiology. Microbiology. Okay. So one of the sciences, and, um, and Daniel is, is a, a, a scientist as well. He's a, a rocket scientist for NASA. So, uh, yeah. So they're, they're, did I get that right, Daniel? He's an aerospace engineer. So yeah, okay. that's, his parents call him a rocket scientist. All right. Okay. Um, anyway, so it's, it's good to get help on these sorts of things. Let's just say one of the issues right off the bat is when we talk about evolution and creation, people bring certain assumptions into it. And so one of the things that this author, uh, Lamoro, wants to do is break apart assumptions. So one of the assumptions we have, if evolution is true, then people will load that with certain, th certain things. For example, they'll assume there can be no design. It's a rejection of God. It's an affirmation of sort of all science in a certain manner of speaking. Whereas creation... Uh, or creationism will assume, you know, intelligent design, it assumes God or accepts God, and it assumes kind of a religious worldview. And so one of the things he wants to do from the get-go is to, is to sort of say, well, there are, there are some qualifications to these things, that evolution doesn't necessarily imply that there is no God or um, that there isn't design involved. In fact, ultimately, he's going to argue for a, a form of evolution that uh, is, is achieved, you know, through design, through through teleology or the 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 idea that there is design in the world. Um, and anyway, and so there are ways that we simplify these words, and that's something that he wants to um, get away from. He says, for example, like most in my church, I believe that evolution was Satan's lie for leading men. This is when he was a young earth creationist for leading men and women away from the Bible and the Lord. <laughs> I continue to conflate the term creation with a strict literal reading of the first chapters of scripture. So one question would be right off the bat is, can you affirm that you're a creationist, but not be, for example, a young earth creationist? So a young earth creationist uh, would say that the earth is six to 10,000 years old, depending on how you date genealogies, and that the universe therefore also is that way. And so the, it has the appearance of age, but it's not actually old in any meaningful sense. Um, you know, billions of years old and that sort of thing. Uh, so let me give a few more definitions here. Uh, teleological evolution is connected to the notion of intelligent design in nature. Teleology means design again. History reveals that the world's beauty, complexity, and functionality have powerfully impacted men and women throughout time. For most of us, this experience has led us to the conclusion that the universe and life reflect the work of a rational mind thus arguing for the existence of a creator. Teleological evolutionists contend that the natural process of evolution 
also reveal intelligent design. In contrast, dis-teleological evolutionists believe that design in nature is nothing but a delusion concocted by the human mind. Okay, so right away, what he's trying to do is he's trying to say that when you look at the question of evolution, you can argue for it being teleological, that is by design, or dis-teleological, that is totally random, not by design. There is no intelligent design behind it. There's no grand purpose in it. It's just sort of what is. Um, and so what he wants to do, ultimately what he's going to argue for is teleological evolution, you know, evolution by design. So evolution is a fact, we have to deal with it, but that doesn't mean that it's not by design. So this kind of idea of, um, you know, totally blind processes or something like that, that's not, what, that's not something you have to hold if you affirm evolution. He argues that Darwin himself, for example, uh, did not um, reject the idea of a, of a creator or a designer. So this is from The Origin of Species, Darwin's work in 1859. Authors of the highest eminence, that is leading scientists in Darwin's day, seem to be fully satisfied that each species has been independently created. To my mind, it accords better with what we know of the laws impressed on matter by the creator, capital C, that the production and extinction of the past and present inhabitants of the world should have been due to secondary causes like those determining the birth and death of the individual. Um, so he's saying that you don't have to have this, this dichotomy of evolution and uh, no design, that he's arguing, ultimately going to argue, that you can have both and that they are reconcilable. Let me yeah, just say what... Oh, go ahead. He uses the phrase false dichotomy a lot in the book. And that's, you know, that's just all people know because that's kind of what what's popular in the media. And, you know, people like to, to play up that controversy. But like on page 40 and 41, he has kind of a graph. And, you know, there's a wide range of possibilities for, you know, the or what you believe for origins. So, you know, he has young earth creation, progressive creation, evolutionary creation, deistic evolution, distillological evolution. So he's saying there aren't just two choices, you know. Right. It's not Let's only distillological or creation. Yeah. Right. Let's actually look at that. I think that would be helpful to kind of define terms. It might be skipping ahead a little bit, but that's okay. So yeah, he, he basically looks at five different, a spectrum really of different origin positions that would be possible. So one, as we mentioned, would be like young earth creationism. Because this is the idea again, that you read Genesis one, absolutely literally six 24 hour days of creation. You add up the genealogies at six to 10,000 years ago. And um, yeah, it would reject certainly any concept of, um, I guess it accepts microevolution, but it would reject macroevolution. Microevolution is the idea that within a species you can have change. Macroevolution is the idea that a, one species turns into another species. Okay, so when Darwin is trying to explain the diversity of life in the universe, you know, it's only really possible, you, you go back to the very first whatever re reproducible cell or whatever it might be, and that becomes something and that becomes something and, and eventually a species becomes another species. Now that could happen at a, like I say, a, a bacteria is, is a species, a certain kind of bacteria is a species. Well, then it, it evolves into a totally different kind of species. But obviously the bigger example might be a, a great ape becomes a homo sapien or, or something of that effect, right? So 
That would certainly be rejected by a young earth creationist. That should be obvious. Then you have progressive creation or what's commonly called old earth creationism. And that's the idea that the earth and the universe are old, but God specifically intervened at periods of creation. And for example, um, um, oh, what was I going to say? Well, six to 10,000 years ago, God intervened to create Adam and Eve, for example. And so that was when the first human pair began. So it rejects, um, I, I think he says, does it reject? Yeah, it would also, wait. Yeah, it would also reject macroevolution, but accept microevolution. Um, but you don't have to deal with kind of the issues of, well, the universe sure looks old. What, you know, expansion and all that. How do we deal with that? Um, there's, there's a lot of other things he says. Um, oh, the days. So now we're into the days, the six days of creation, not being 24 hour days, but you know, e periods of time, epochs kind of thing. Right. Then you have evolutionary creation, um, which all, all, everything else of course is going to be an old universe model. And, uh, there is a designer. It accepts all kinds of evolution, uh, but it is uh, ordained and sustained by natural processes, but it's also ordained and sustained by a personal God. Okay. Then you have deistic evolution, you know, deism, kind of the idea of the clock maker God, you know, the, the clock is set in motion and God is totally hands off. So God is not personal in that sense. Uh, God is not entering into the world. Uh, but of course it accepts all the evolutions, micro and macro, um, and it's, it is ordained, but ordained natural processes. Not many people hold that, I don't think, but maybe they do. Uh, then there's disteleological evolution, which would be kind of the atheist or the, the naturalist materialist position. So that's the idea then that, you know, we really don't have an accounting for anything. And everything is, I don't want to say random, that might not be, the, that's a loaded word. But it's all essentially blind chance natural processes. No God is involved. It's not. There is no design, there is no drive behind it, etc. Um, any any thoughts on that very quick summary? Yeah. Mm. But those people who are outside the Garden of Eden, whenever the Garden of Eden happened, um, the Garden of Eden might have happened 10,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. We don't know. Mm -hmm. If it did happen then, then everybody's happy. Yeah, so, so Steve's asking if, uh, is there a theory that allows for human beings to be on Earth for hundreds of thousands of years uh, and for the Garden of Eden to take place? And that's what this book argues. It's actually kind of a brilliant thought experiment that I'd never even considered. Um, and you kind of wonder why no one else ever considered it. Maybe they have. Um, but but that's, that's, that's the theory, is that you have both. And now, what he gets into, and a lot of, I mean, I think it's a lot, it's a lot of detail for me, is what do you mean by a human being? Like you said, for example, uh, well, we know that there have been human beings on Earth for hundreds of thousands of years. Well, it depends on what you mean by human being. There's a theological definition of a human being. There's a biological definition of a human being. 
philosophical perhaps. I mean, what do we mean by the image of God? Were they made in the image of God or were only Adam and Eve made in the image of God? Does the Adam and Eve conferred through, through mating, for example? Through, does the lineage of Adam and Eve get it? One of the things he says, I'll give this away very quickly. He, he makes the case that you can scientifically prove that all human beings alive on the planet Earth today have a common ancestor as early as 4,000 years ago. Or at least 4,000 years before 0 CE, the year, the year Jesus was born. And that's important because... When Paul says that through sin came one man and by one man all, you know, in Romans 5, well, so, you, so he goes back to 0 CE. And so they run the numbers and they say, is it possible, all things considered, in a worst case scenario, that all human beings alive at 0 CE on earth would have had a common ancestor? How early would that have been? You can't prove it genealogically. We thought we could maybe through the Genome Project, DNA. You can't do it because you lose genes too quickly. Right? I only have half of my parents' DNA, each, each parent. That means I only have 25% of my grandparents, of any one of them. That means I only have 16 or 12 and a half, and you, you get the idea. So very quickly, within, say, 10 generations, I have no evidence genetic, ge genetically of any one person. But ironically, you can go all the way back and you can prove, there are ways that you prove common ancestry, and we'll talk about that in this book. So if it is the case, I'm jumping ahead to this book a little bit, but it's actually really interesting. So I think it's, it, it's best to kind of combine from both, you know, at, at once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And maybe that's the way to do this. You know, I don't know. But if it is the case that human beings have a common ancestor as early as, say, four or even 6,000 years ago, then it could be the case. It can be the case that the Garden of Eden story happens exactly the way it's described, including God, dust of the earth, and the whole bit, you know, from the rib, Adam's rib, and all of, all of that, and that they mated with biological human beings, maybe not theological human beings, because maybe they were made in the image of God. Maybe they fell into sin. Maybe they didn't. We don't know. Guess what? The Bible doesn't say anything about those people. But we do know that all of a sudden the children of Adam, Adam and Eve are having children. And you're going, well, were they sleeping with their sister to do this? That's a question a lot of people have. Well, that solves that problem. You now have that, uh, you know, diversity. And now that's how you get into the, that. That's how you lock. And now everyone after that, all of their descendants and their, you know, and so on and so forth, everyone from Adam and Eve, now they have common ancestry. They're made in the image of God. That's passed on. And most importantly for our justification language, sin, original sin is passed on through, 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 through the federal headship of Adam. I, I, don't, I don't really get into the, the genetic argument per se of original sin because if it's genetic, pretty soon they'll be able to edit that gene out. So Cameron had his hand up too. And then um, Peter. Oh. Like a of all yeah, like a quarter of the. Yeah, Cameron called me a warlord because he said I'm Genghis Khan's great 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 grandson. I resent that, Cameron. I, I've I've always tried to be very kind. Yeah. Right. 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 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and so if you have a. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. And if I was to make a Yeah. Yeah. Well, to be clear, the genetics of common ancestry can't be proven. The genealogy is what can be proven. I never made that distinction before in my life, but that's there's a genealogy is who your grandparents are. Genetics is what your DNA is. Ge and genetics breaks down again after a few generations. But genealogy, that can be mathematically deduced. It's complicated, and they have to look into things like, well, what about people on Aboriginal islands? And, you know, what about... Yeah. For, 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 for Christmas, Amanda got 23andMe and Ancestry.com. We, we went full-fledged, so. So we won't... Uh, so, yeah, so if she commits a crime, she is absolutely sunk. In fact, in fact... If I get yeah. Exactly. She didn't really do it. But Peter had a question and then Steve. Okay. Uh, so really quick. One is uh, are we considering as we consider evolution? If we look at science uh dates back to the past billions of years. Mm -hmm. Science dates back billions of years. Yeah. In this in this book, he's not <laughs> He's not just looking at the origin of man. He is looking at um, one, all life, all life. Right. Yeah, people outside the garden. People make, in fact, he does this in the book. He, uh, it was just the chapter I read yesterday. I haven't finished it yet. But he, um, he goes through the biblical arguments for and against people outside the garden. And his, his, his ultimately, he comes down to it's, it's, it's not definitive. Because for every argument you make against people outside the garden, there will be a counter argument. But um, yes, I, I think that I would like to think that there were people outside the garden because it does solve a, a lot of problems. It answers a lot of questions um, without doing harm to the... And, and, and this is part of your, your, um, your kind of hermeneutical or your interpretive framework that you would bring to these stories. How, how necessary is it that the Bible answers questions to all of these sorts of things? All right. So, like, does the Bible have to answer the question definitively of whether there are people outside the garden? Really, it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter because once you have Adam and Eve, the story of the fall and their descendants, that's all that really matters for that story to behold. But, oh, man, questions everywhere. Uh, and uh, I want Lisa and Daniel, please, to chime in. So, was that your only question? The billion, billion years. What about the billion years? Oh yeah. Well, we'll talk. He'll definitely talk. He'll talk about this. 
and 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 he'll he'll give reasons why he thinks it is unequivocal that the Earth is definitely old in in terms of billions of years. So, but Steve had a question then. Okay. Let me let me say one thing before I ask the question. Mm -hmm. Well, not, necess not necessarily because Noah and his wives were not related. So, I mean, I think you would have had in that situation. I, he doesn't, I don't know that he, does he address Noah in this book? Um, I don't remember, Lisa and Daniel. I'd have to check my notes. I, he might um, discuss the flood briefly, but I, he moves on to more broadly, just like well, an incident, you know. Thing. I think Swamidas does get to it later. Um, I haven't gotten that far. Because, uh, you know, like genetically, if, if, if it had been a worldwide flood and only Noah and his family survived, you would be able to see that, right? You would see that there's a common genetic ancestor only a couple thousand years ago. Yeah. So I, I think he, he addresses that by saying that basically uh, it was a regional flood that, you know, to the people in the Middle East, it was the, the entire world was flooded, but really, you know, it was some and, and, yeah, more so local event. That's the hermeneutical question. What did it describe a regional flood or a worldwide flood? Right. You know, is it, was the water literally 20 feet over the mountaintops or, you know, so that's a hermeneutical question. And uh, I, I'm, I'm, if it's a regional flood, then you have no issue at all, right? If it's a world, if, if it, well, in this, you have no issue uh, in terms of the incest, incestuous question, uh, which again, I don't think it's incestuous because there were, there were four, there were four couples, uh, three of whom still having children. So um, now you could talk about cousins and that sort of thing, but you know. Mm -hmm. and, uh, the yeah. 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 I hear you. Well, we'll talk. We can talk more about Noah. Let's talk about that. That comes up right away in this book. Yeah, she's asking about firmaments and things like that. And one of one of Lamoro's points is that the Bible is written with a an ancient uh, what's the word cosmological um, framework or something. So you know, waters yeah. in the heavens and firmaments and things of that nature. That you know. Yeah. Uh, okay. So what he says is, 
Uh, okay, so when you know when it was made per se, but there was a time when. Let me say. Let me just say that for the microphone. So, <clears throat> John Walton is the author, and he puts forth an understanding that when the ancient world would talk about create, it's not so much that it maybe came into being, but that that's when God assigned it its function because that would have had a, you said a functional or practical, uh, not functional, not material uh, way of understanding things. So um, no, we didn't, I don't know who John Walton is. So that's good. Yeah. Bring it to the mix. That's good. Um, um, so yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah, I think I think one of the bigger pictures here is, you know, just the, trying to answer the question of, well, what what exactly is Genesis trying to explain? Is it trying to give a comprehensive understanding of things? But actually, even in the New Testament, Paul is assuming ancient cosmology. You know, Paul says, "I was caught up into the third heaven." Well, that doesn't make we don't we don't talk about second, third, fourth, fifth heavens, um, but he's using an ancient cosmology. So, um, but yeah. Another question, or uh, yeah, hermeneutical just means your theory of interpretation, your the work of interpretation. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cameron's saying that so, it's the Bible's for a group of people, Israel. So, um, and so it's not necessarily for people all over the world, for example. And I, I think that's what the authors are trying to do is more importantly, just create room for, you know, like what, what is the Bible trying to you know, what questions can we answer? What questions are science and the Bible trying to answer? But let's just make room for, for these ideas. Yeah, and I, I would say, yeah, I mean, on the one hand, the Bible is for a group of people, but I would also say, I do think it is for the whole world. Um, and, and for example, Jesus' genealogy, I think it's Matthew that goes back to Abram or Abraham and Luke goes back to Adam. So I do think that the there is a desire for the church to, 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 to make the case that though Jesus comes out of a tradition and a people, his death is for the whole world. And so you know, now we're back in the maybe theological arguments about the nature of the atonement and the breadth of the atonement. But um, there are a number of texts that would indicate a cosmic kind of significance to the person, work, death of Christ. So, yeah. 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 Well, but they would be relevant, but yeah. 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 Well. Mm -hmm. like, um, if he compare the Bible like, with uh, other theological books. The one of the Which? Quran and then the one of So uh, the, the Old Testament is relevant. It's a 
He's saying there's the Old Testament is a lot like other other religious books, theological books. Well, I don't I don't necessarily want to get into all the questions of like other blood accounts or anything like that. Um, I think what we want to answer is um, what do we do with evidence around or arguments for evolution? What does that what does that do with our understanding of Adam and Eve? What does that do with Jesus's understanding of Adam and Eve and Paul's understanding of Adam and Eve? If there's not a first couple, then what do we mean when we say sin entered into the world through one man? What do we, you know, what did, what, for what did Jesus die then? What, what really is the nature of sin? Is it just, is it, is it a kind of inherent to us as human beings? Uh, or is it just something everybody sort of does? Um, it's a, I think it's a nature question versus a, a doing question, a being question versus a kind of a doing. So, um, yeah, so I don't know about all those. I don't know. I don't know that I, 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 I haven't read any books to try to account for flood and things like that. So, but um, Lisa, you're saying something? Just that one of the other points that Lamoureux makes is, you know, the big question is, does God condescend to us? All oh, right. 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 You know, the, the mustard seed is a good example of that. Um, and, and like, you know, there, th yeah, you want to say something? Well, I mean, it's just the, the distinction is like, you know, when Jesus is talking about the mustard seed or, you know, the point isn't, uh, that the mustard seed is the smallest seed. It's the smallest one they knew about, but he was trying to make a different point. So yeah, it's like he, it's try, trying, to, trying to look for little, uh, hidden messages within scripture is sometimes kind of misleading. And we, we do have to take into account, like, what the intended audience is and what they're trying to say not yeah and the incidental messages yeah. that are in scripture yeah so so in other words yeah so like he and that gets to the firmament right you know we know yeah. we now have a better understanding of this is where you know daniel's like understanding of physics and space comes in we have now have a better understanding of those things and that doesn't mean that we've like disproven scripture it just means that um you know the bible is written from a human perspective but, you know from our perspective what is the bible trying to communicate right, right. What, what is it the bible trying to communicate it's it's not necessarily trying to teach us the exact nature of the size of seeds you know because for jesus for that parable to work jesus would have had to have been like you know the kingdom of heaven is like the yakima seed and the people would have been like what's a yakima oh well you can't possibly know what that is because it only grows in western uh, the, what what in future years they're going to call the Western Hemisphere in North America. And they'd be like, well, what is that? It doesn't matter. All you need to know is that the smallest seed on earth is in this part of the world. And the kingdom of God is like that. Well, see, that'd be a really bad storyteller, right? Um, so he uses what they know, which is a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed that they know. It, what, it's not the smallest seed on earth. That's not the point. And so likewise, it, Jesus, the Bible, they're not intended to communicate the exhaustive answer to everything. Uh, it, it's not, there's not an exhaustive and the, and the, and then you get into questions like, well, the people at the time had certain knowledge and certain beliefs. The people at the time had certain understandings about the nature of the world and the firmament, for example. So was that the time for God to say, well, listen, I, I, I know that it looks like the earth 
stands still and the sun goes around it and you know you don't know how the stars are like look like they're floating out there it does kind of look like they're in water doesn't it well let me explain to you einsteinian you know relative you know physics or relativity or whatever you know it was that that that, that wasn't really the point the point was um a god created in fact there's a list of of um of of principles i guess of creation principles of cre that is to say if you say that you're a creationist what are the things that you believe and so these are things that would be true whether there's a firmament or not right whether the earth is billions of years old or not let me just read these seven very quickly the creation is distinct from the creator that's a very important distinction. Creation distinct from creator. Evolutionists don't believe that. The, the, crea the creation is the creator, in essence. The universe is of itself. It doesn't have a creator. It just, we, we are all stardust. Like when Carl Sagan says that we're stardust, what does he mean? He, he, we're just part of creation. We're no different from a cockroach, fundamentally. We just think that we are because we've evolved in such a way. Anyway, he would obviously be on the far right of that spectrum of atheists, Disteleological evolution. Okay, creator distinction from the creator, creation. The creation is dependent on the creator. We would agree with that. The creation was made out of nothing. We'd agree with that. The creation is temporal. That is to say um, that it is bound in time and has a beginning and an end that are determined by the creator. The creation declares God's glory. That's said in the, in the scriptures. The creation is good. And finally, the creation features a living being that bears the image of God. So those would be seven hallmarks. So if you affirm those things, you could argue I'm a creationist. And those are things that aren't dependent upon the nature of the firmament or, or those other things that I, I mentioned. Okay. Um, so I think that might be helpful. He gets into intelligent design, which I won't, maybe we can come back to it, but um, Essentially, the idea of intelligent design is that, uh, well, it's exactly what it says, that within the universe, you find evidence of a designer. Uh, like if you're walking on the beach and you pick up a wristwatch, this is the old example, you wouldn't pick up the wristwatch and go, wow, nature created the most amazing little thing with these amazing precise little gears and these hands that move. It corresponds to the sun. No, you'd say, wow, somebody, some designer figured out how to make something that corresponds to the to the sun going around the earth 24 hours in a day etc so you know there's evidence of design uh, in creation itself um anyway i know we're out of time so i'm pressing a little bit there there are another couple of concepts <laughs> we need to look at let me just introduce them but we'll start here next time and that's concordism concordism concord means an agreement right like the book of concord is our book of lutheran you know confessions so concordism there are different kinds of concordism there's really two there's scientific concordism maybe it's concordism but anyway uh and theological concordism and scientific concordism he says fails the idea that you can bring into agreement science and a little reading of the bible his argument is that that it just fails on its face it, it, it's a non-starter it's impossible you cannot square modern science, what we know about science as a matter of fact with the Bible if it's to be taken literally and at face value. But he does hold to a theological concordism. So he says, if the Bible's intention is to create the or communicate theological truths, that is concordant with what we know. So for example, the Bible 
uh, argues that we're sinful beings. Well, that concords with what we know. Um, the Bible communicates that Jesus was the Son of God, that he rose from the dead, etc. And, and maybe I could give many, many other examples. But the idea... So, throughout this book, he argues against scientific concordism, which is kind of like arguing against young earth creation. But he, but he argues for theological concordism. And um, <clears throat> I don't know that we can... You know, I don't know how cleanly we can really draw those lines because of texts that refer to Adam and Eve. That's where it gets hard because it's like, well, wait a minute. In Adam and Eve, you have theological significance and scientific significance. And it's hard to pull those two things apart. So those are the arguments that we're going to get into. But Daniel and Lisa, I've talked a lot. I want you guys to have the last, last word. Anything I left out or... Well, well I, I did have a, like a personal note I wanted to put in there. Just I should have said at the beginning, but the reason why we want to have this conversation is, you know, I do meet a lot of Christians who maybe they've gotten as far as old earth creation, um, but then they're afraid to tackle the topic of evolution. And from just my unique perspective of being a scientist in the church, um, you know, I've had pastors who have like literally called evolution as a shrine to the devil. And so what kind of, I think, I, why I, we wanted to have this conversation is because we feel like, you know, you know, people in the church will say, well, yeah, um, like uh, physicists, thank, good for, thank goodness for physicists to tell us about the, you know, how the, the stars work and planets and, oh, thank goodness for geologists. They were able to tell us that, you know, like the planet is actually very old, but biologists are dirty liars and they're not to be trusted. And um, that's just from a personal note, uh, you know, that's why I wanted to be able to have these transparent conversations where it's like, hey, it, it, it's not one or the other. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's one of the conflicts he points out is that when people like an old earth creationist, the main argument he makes against that position is that they accept essentially, um, um, I don't know, evolution at a mass scale, you know, in the in the universe, but on um, but, but in biological terms, oh, no, no, that's, we don't accept that. So he's saying it's inconsistent that if you accept sort of evolution in the, because again, we, we take this for granted. The universe is 14 billion years old. The earth is like four and a half for, so for 10 of those years that the universe existed, there was no planet earth. So for it to come into a being there, there's some kind of, maybe evolution isn't the right word, but there is something going on in that time to allow for the formation of stars and planets. And, and things of that nature. So, yeah. So, yeah. So just, you know, just we people, scientists, we're, we've dedicated, we're flawed, but we've dedicated our lives to the pursuit of, of truth. Some yeah. of it, you know, evolutionary science is a different science necessarily, you know, than uh, empirical, empirical science sometimes. But um, these aren't people who are trying to, you know, fraud, yeah. be frauds. So, right, right. Okay, well, we're out of time. Hopefully this is a good introduction. I think it'll be an interesting conversation as we move forward. And um, no one is going to erect any shrines to any devils. That's that. that.